Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by Ron Hextall. I don't think he really needs an introduction. Con Smythe, Vezina Trophy, first NHL goaltender to ever score a goal. Some unbelievable penalty minutes on top of that. Uh, Ron had a ton of insight into the position, into management, into his entire playing career, so it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Remember, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, all the streaming channels. Of course, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Mike McKenna 56 And before we get to the show, I want to talk to you guys about the coaching that I'm doing with 44 Vision Hockey. The way it works is if you sign up, we upload your clips. I break down all your clips. I analyze them, upload them to your own player profile on the 44 Vision website, and then we have a Zoom meeting. We go over all of it. It's like basically having your own personal goalie coach, even though we're not in the same building looking at each other face-to-face. We are on Zoom. We can dissect everything. Meetings are usually about an hour long. So if you go to 44 Vision Hockey, I'm having a blast doing that, seeing results with people. It's a lot of fun for me to do, and it's a great way to take your game, get a second set of eyes on it from a professional lens, and see what we can do to get you dialed in. And don't forget, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year. You can still place bets at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team player coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place. The online casino, it's always open. It never closes. Head to BetOnline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now we're going to kick it over to my guest, Ron Hextall. Enjoy. Ron, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a big thrill. When I was a kid, I played the posts. I wanted to score a goal. It's all directly attributed to you. A lot of people may not realize that there's NHL lineage in your family. Your grandpa, your dad, your uncle, they all played in the NHL. None of them were goaltenders. So what drew you to the position? What made you want to become a goaltender? You know, I it, it goes back long before I can remember, so I don't really have a a good recollection answer for you. But what I do have is when I was two, two and a half years old, my mom said I used to uh, roll a sock up, throw it up the stairs and make a save when it came down. So when you're, you know, in your twos and you're doing stuff like that, I, I really, I really don't know other than something that was in me that just wanted to, wanted to play goal. That's kind of, that's a, that's a new one. I think I've interviewed a lot of people and usually it relates to the equipment or the fact that they never want to come off the ice. I don't think I've ever heard your version of it where it's, it's like a cat chasing a ball down the stairs. That's, that's a new one for me. Yeah, well, you must, you must've done that. Didn't you? Didn't you throw a ball off the sure. stairs? And stop it? Yeah. So well, it's, yeah, you know, at that, at that age, obviously is that's pretty unusual. And that's what I say. Like, I, I really don't know. And then after that, then I be- began recruiting my mom to, to shoot on me. So oh, <laughs> she was my best shooter. Where would she shoot on you? Garage, basement, outside? Yeah, just just in the house there, just in the house. And she wasn't much of a hockey player either. But at, at you know three years old or whatever it was, I guess she was good enough. <laughs> was she shooting real pucks at you? No, no, she probably should have because then I probably would have made a different decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, this is really ironic. My I can remember this clear as day. Similar age range to you, three or four years old. I'm in the basement and my dad's shooting on me. And I can hear my mom call down from upstairs, Terry, you're not shooting real pucks on him, are you? And dad had to just sheepishly go back up on stairs and we had to act like he wasn't shooting the real pucks. (laughs) I was head to toe in full equipment. (laughs) Well, I was glad to hear that actually. Yeah. Well, you know, as you got older, if you're obviously gravitating towards goaltending, who were your heroes? Who did you look up to that you saw play, whether it was in the Western League in your hometown of Brandon or in the NHL? Yeah, well, when when I was young, my dad was playing in the NHL at the time. So I specifically remember going to the rink on Saturdays for practice, skating before and after practice. And Jimmy Rutherford um, was Jimmy was good friends with my dad. They lived in the same uh, condo complex as we did in Pittsburgh. So Jimmy was really good to me. 
and then the fact that I got to watch him at practice and in games. So Jimmy was kind of, if I had to say one guy, Jimmy was my hero. Uh, I still have a mask of Jimmy's from um, that he gave me back then that I actually wow. wore as a kid. I was 12 years old. Actually, I lost a tooth with that mask. That's how, that's how good it was. But it's, <laughs> it, it's a, certainly a treasure of mine. Um, he gave me skates back then. They were, they were much too big. Um, but he did. He played road hockey with my brother and I. So Jimmy was the guy. Other than Jimmy, I mean, I liked a lot of goalies, but you know, Tony O was Tony Esposito was one that um, really stood out for me. I remember, I think we were driving from Atlanta back to Brandon uh, after the season, and we were going through Chicago. And my parents always remind me that we were going through Chicago, and I said, "Can we stop and see my buddy Tony Esposito?" <laughs> <laughs> so naive I was. <laughs> I watch my daughter now. She's at the beginning phases of wanting to be a goaltender. She's seven years old. We're making her at least learn how to skate and play the game, be a hockey player first. But when she hops in the cage, she does things that other kids don't do. She butterflies. She drops on time. I guess what I'm getting is that she's watched me and watched enough hockey at her young age that she has an idea how to actually play this position. Did you, were you able to translate some of the stuff that you saw from Rutherford into what you did as a young kid? I mean, I, I think so. We didn't, you know, I, I look back and we really didn't play the game the right way. I mean, to make a skate save, you kind of ask yourself why, and I don't have an, I don't have an answer for it, but it was interesting because I met, I met Vladislav Trechak back in 87 at the Canada cup. And he asked me, why do you turn your skates? Why do you make skate saves? And my only answer was because pretty much everybody does. Well, Trechak was the one guy at the time that, or actually before that, that didn't. Um, but, you know, watching Jimmy and all the other goalies, that's just sort of what you did. And you think about the time it takes you to turn your blade and then shoot your blade out. I mean, it's, it's almost absurd that we did it, but we did it because that's everybody before us did it like that. And that's how you play goal. We had no goaltending instruction. I didn't have any goaltending instruction. My first goalie coach was Bernie Pront in Philadelphia, my first year in the NHL when I was 22 years old. So we just did what guys before us did. And uh, that's the way it was. Isn't it funny to think that a lot of times we really didn't think about optimization of what we were doing. You know, it really was. It was just copycat goaltending. I can still do a skate save. I learned them. I mean, Lindsey Middlebrook ran a goalie camp in St. Louis where I grew up. And if you remember Lindsey Middlebrook, he taught me skate saves. And to this day, I can still, if you line them up in the blue line, I can kick them straight to the corner, full C cut. I haven't used that in 25 years. And it made yeah. no sense, but I can still do it. You know, it's, it's amazing how much uh, we didn't think about the game at the time. Yeah, yes. Well, it's exactly when Trichak asked me the question, I was sort of like, I didn't really know what to say because it sort of made sense. But yet, yet I still went on and made skate saves. It's, right. It didn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, and then it's, it's funny because knowing the way that I played and the way most guys played at the time or everybody pretty much. And then, you know, I watched Jonathan Bernier when he was drafted. And, and Carter Hart, when he was drafted, and those kids come to camp at 18, and you see how technically sound they are. I mean, they've had goalie coaches from a young age, right? Right. Everybody in hockey had a coach or, or a defensive coach or, or you know, a forward coach, uh, skills coach. But as a goalie, like, you didn't have – you didn't have coaching. And you just – again, you just watch guys, and we really didn't do it the right way. Amazing thing to think is that people always refer to goaltending as the most important position. Yet we took so long to finally develop goalie departments, development coaches. You know, that's just now starting to become in vogue to not just have one guy at the NHL. You know, when you got to junior hockey, uh, you said, like you said, you hadn't had any coaching at all. You show up in Melville. I take it that team wasn't great. I, I read about an infamous night where he had 105 shots on goal and lost something like 21 to 2. I mean, baptism by fire. What was it like to walk into junior hockey in that type of scenario? Well, first of all, it was 21 to three. So don't get that wrong. Oh, I don't want to shortchange you guys, man. <laughs> no, it was uh, Melville. Um, Tiger Williams' brother was a coach. 
he actually saw me. I was at Brandon Wee King's camp, and that's where he saw me play and essentially recruited me right at the time to come to Melville. So Saskatchewan Junior League was a very good league at the time. So I'm like, well, it was better than the Manitoba League, and they played more games. So I was like, well, this makes sense. So I ended up going. And um, we didn't have a good team. Um, I was 16 years old, first time away from home. Um, but you know what? When I look back at that experience in terms of you talk about development and the years that you took a, a big step, that was I took a big step that year. I played a lot of games. And again, we, we got bombarded most nights. So from a, from a development standpoint, uh, I came a long ways that year. The 21 to three game. I mean, I'll never forget it. We, it was the second last game of the year. You know, we had, we had guys quitting. I don't know how many players we had that night, but I'm going to guess we probably had at most a dozen skaters, but probably less. And uh, we played PA who was uh, Prince Albert, who was an absolute juggernaut. Dave Tippett was there. Uh, James Patrick was there. They were just a very good team and they, they abused us. <laughs> <laughs> and by, by period, I let in, um, I think it was three goals in the first, six in the second, and 12 in the third. Like in the third period, I couldn't even stand up. Like I go down and I was pretty much down. So when you, and you look at the progression, somebody asked the coach after the game, why didn't you put the other goalie in? So I was afraid what the score might have been. <laughs> so I ended up getting, I don't know if I was – a star or our player of the game, but um, we literally didn't get out of our, out of our zone. How we scored three goals is probably still a mystery, but it was uh, it was ugly. It was ugly. Transferred into you having the opportunity though to play in your hometown, Brandon, Manitoba. Got to be a Wheat King. Did you find that it was difficult to play at home, or or how you know how was that process? Like I look at how it went for you. It looks to me like you got better every single season. Midway through, you're drafted by Philly. Were there expectations put on you because you were a hometown kid? Um, I I, I never found that. I I felt like kind of the support I had from my parents and my my brother and sister and everybody was was a good thing. So I didn't find the hometown thing was was a detriment. Um, you know, growing up, like I actually sold programs for the Wheat Kings. I don't know, like 12, 13, like I watched all those big teams. You might, you're too, maybe too young, but Billy DeLego and, and Ray Allison, Brian Propp, uh, Brad McCrimmon, Glenn Hanlon, that, that, that big team that they had, I watched those teams um, every home game they played because I sold programs on the, uh, on the concourse there. So being a Wheat King for me was a absolute huge deal it was like it's almost like i don't know if it's bigger than the nhl but it was pretty big at the time and uh so it was certainly a, a thrill for me and we had good teams uh never great teams but we had good teams and you know for me obviously i got drafted and ended up graduating to pro hockey at a brandon so i've got a lot of fond memories and and teammates uh that i still keep in touch with and uh great experience you're drafted in 1982 sixth round by the Philadelphia Flyers. Now you've grown up in Pittsburgh. I'm guessing there's a rivalry there where you may not have had Philadelphia as number one on your list as a team you wanted to play for as a kid, right or wrong. What was that experience like being drafted and being able to put on a Jersey eventually? Well, the, the, the day I was drafted, I was, I was working at uh, Binkley motors, washing cars. Um, one of the, one of the uh, bosses came in and said, your mom's on the phone. I was like, Oh, okay. So I went in and took the call and she told me I was drafted by Philadelphia. I was like, Oh God, <laughs> Philadelphia. I, I, I did not like them. I don't, I mean, I think they're probably like they are now you either love them or you hate them. And at the time I was on the other side of the, the pendulum. And, um, but it's funny within, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to wash a car. I'm not doing a very good job. Probably after I, I found out in about a half hour, after I got drafted, it was almost like I fell in love with them because, because what they're all about, kind of win at all costs and do what you got to do to win. And they'd obviously been successful and they obviously had some characters on their team. They were physical, they were intense. And it was like, yeah, this might actually work out. So in the end, it was, it was very exciting. But at the time it was kind of, I was, to be honest, I was kind of hoping I would get drafted by Pittsburgh because of my dad. And that was kind of his team. Um, 
but the way it worked out was obviously worked out well. Can't think of a better goaltender to be drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers, as we found out later in your career. Uh, let's talk about the Western Hockey League just briefly a little bit more. I mean, when you look at today's stats, like, Ron, you wouldn't draft a goaltender that had an 8.83 save percentage. You wouldn't even give that goaltender a sniff nowadays. But back then, when we're talking 83-84, that's a good season for a goaltender. I mean, Ray Ferraro had 108 goals and 192 points in one season. Now, Ray Ferraro is a very, very good hockey player. But if you put that up in junior today, you're going straight to the Hall of Fame. First overall draft pick. You know, what were the challenges for a goaltender in that run and gun of a setting? It, it was, I mean, it was just a different, the, the checking wasn't near as good. And, and we as goalies, we weren't near as good either. We'd be the first to, first to admit it though. I mean, we talked about the way we played. Um, but it was, it was probably the biggest challenge. You're letting in, you know, three, four or five goals a night, just trying to keep your, keep your confidence. But fortunately you were scoring quite a few as well. So it was kind of relative at that time. Um, so it's amazing how things don't change. So you were just trying to stop one more puck than the guy at the other end. In the end, if you won, everything was good. And if you didn't, everything was bad. But going back to Ray Ferraro there, like you want to talk about an amazing year and an, something amazing to, to witness. Like think about that 108 goals. I can't imagine that's ever going to be beat. And it was like, I was thinking about this morning, we had, we had Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Obviously, obviously Ray was Jerry Rice and Joe Montana was, was Cam Plant, who was one of our defensemen. I actually grew up with him in Brandon there, but he, he was very skilled and he hit Ray with so many breakaway passes. And I think Cam might've set a record that year for points by a defenseman, obviously because Ray scored so many goals. But Ray got to a point where he was so confident he'd go in on a breakaway and stop just in front of the goalie and then just tap it in. Like, oh, hum. Skate back to center ice. It was it was absolutely amazing to, to watch. How do you amass 117 penalty minutes in that scenario? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out. You know, you're having a great year in goal. You end up setting the all-time penalty minutes record. How does that come into play? Obviously – Everybody who ever bought everybody who ever watched you play was that in was that in Brandon? I had that many minutes. Yeah, yeah. Your last year in Brandon, you had 117 penalty minutes, eight assists, in 46 games played. Probably, probably say the refs were unfair back then. They were biased. Yeah. Does that work? Sure. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was a different game. I mean, like back then. I mean, it was. You want to talk about physical and bench clearing brawls and six on sixes. And I mean, it was, you know, we had, we played against Regina. I mean, you look up their, you look up their roster. I mean, it just goes on and on with, with toughness. And Saskatoon had Dave Brown, Daryl Stanley, uh, who am I missing? Goonie Gordon. I mean, it was just like every night was like, I mean, every team had, toughness and as a goalie I mean they sometimes they come at me and sometimes you got to defend yourself and other times maybe I did some things I probably shouldn't have done but I don't, I don't know I I don't know tough question to answer well I look at it this way that of all people I already mentioned my mom once in this podcast and it's going to happen a second time here she used to always say don't piss him off don't piss Mike off because I'd play my best I was the type of goaltender that if people came to my crease and ran me and chirped me, it got my energy. It got my emotional investment into the game. Did you need to be on that upper bandwidth to really play your best? I, I felt like that's when I did play my best. I know, I know teams would say and, and announcers would say, well, get him off his game. Well, it, it, it didn't get me off my game. It, it added, I felt like it added to my game. Your intensity level goes up, yep. you're into the game more and, and you play better. I think there are some people probably that it does affect the other way, but I never felt like I was, I was one of those guys. Um, the more, you know, it's, we civil Clark Gillies, like let the big guy sleep. Right. Right. I, I felt like I was the same way. If I was, if I wasn't emotionally invested in the game, I wasn't very good. Yeah. I see that today with Jamie Ben as somebody like that, that you don't want to poke the bear. The moment he's pissed, yeah. you're in yeah. trouble, you know, yeah. and I can remember in playoffs 
maybe two years ago, we're in Tucson and, you know, Strom comes by, he's 20 years old and he chirps me and runs me and I'm 36 and I'm looking at this kid thinking, what are you thinking? You know, and it's the best hockey I ever played. They had no clue what they were doing wrong. You know, they were, they were sending me into an emotional state that was going to be my best, you know, and, and I feel like watching your game as a kid growing up, like when you were engaged, that's when you were really on it. Yeah, no, no, no question. Yeah. No question. So when you come out of junior hockey, I mean, you're pretty highly touted, right? You're a draft pick. You go to Philadelphia. Did you expect to spend two seasons in the minors before you got that first real taste with the Flyers? Yeah, I did. I mean, it was just sort of what you did back then. I mean, I, I, I was a six round pick. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that highly touted. Um, I think Philadelphia probably at some point had me highly touted, but um, so I did expect to. Um, however, you know, when you're young, you're a little naive. And I went to training camp that year as a 20 year old and I played a pretty good game. I played in Montreal, played a pretty good game. And then I came back and played another game in Philly, not quite as good, but I actually thought, well, maybe I got a shot of staying. And then Pelly Lindbergh and Bob froze. Like you have no shot of staying, but I actually thought I did for a, a brief moment there until I got sent down and, and then actually I got sent down to, to um, Kalamazoo was in the international league because Philly split a team with Boston and they only had one goalie spot and Darren Jensen had just signed as a free agent. I think, I think Darren was 24, 25 years old and he ended up staying in Hershey. So it was, uh, it was a tough thing when you think maybe you're going to stay in the NHL and you end up uh, in the international league at the time, which was like the East coast league. So by this point, had you really been able to develop what you're, I, I arguably, I think most known for your puck handling, you know, and it's kind of apropos it's uh, on this date, this past week when we're recording is when you scored your first NHL goal. Was it junior hockey where it really started to take off and minor pro where you developed your ability to handle the puck? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was a combination. I, there, there was a little bit of pushback um, actually from a, a coach in junior said to me that if you don't stop playing the puck, you're not going to play in the NHL. I was like, kind of like, whoa, I was, I was shocked. And, and then, yeah, when, when I was in the minor, John Paddock, he, he encouraged it. Um, the defensemen love it because you're keeping their face off the glass quite a bit. Right. So they're, they're not getting they're, hit. Yes. They're loving it. Um, and then ironically when I went to NHL is probably where it was was I mean Mike Keenan loved it he wanted me to do it as much as as much as I could and you know Mark Howe Brad McCrimmon the guys um, they they liked it as well so really when I got to the NHL like I said is probably when it was encouraged the most starting off it couldn't have been very natural for a defenseman to realize your goalie can handle it as well as you could so you know, when you're building out a system with your teammates, was it's it feels like back then it was still a lot of stretch passes off the glass, grip it and rip it type of puck handling. Did it really evolve over the course of your career? Yeah, it it evolved. I mean, it, I think it's something you get you get better at. You know, I always get asked a question like, "How how did you develop it?" And I say, "I don't really know, other than the fact that I spent a lot of time in outdoor rinks when I was a kid." I spent a lot of time at rinks with my dad after practice with a player stick, you know, out on the, out on the road. Most nights I'd be there when I was young and for two or three hours, you're shooting a ball by myself and then playing road hockey on the weekends with all your buddies and you're just developing your skill. We didn't play as much as kids play nowadays. So we had so much more time just to, to play, to play by ourselves, to be on the outdoor rinks. Um, the, the organized hockey, again, wasn't as intense and you weren't, weren't going to the rink four or five, six times a week. So we had more time. Um, but I, yeah, it certainly evolved over the years. I mean, when you're younger, you get big, heavy club sticks where I don't care how good you are with a puck, you still can't handle it very well when your stick is, is you know, five pounds or whatever they seem like they were back then. But um, it was a skill that I, I think I always had. And I, I enjoyed it, but I, if it wasn't good for the team, you're not going to do it. But as I said, most coaches were encouraging. Did you shoot left-handed when you skated out? Yes. I have a theory on this, and it, it's backed up by Marty Turco and Grant Fuhrer, who I've 
I've talked about this endlessly. I really believe that goaltenders should play goal the same way that they shoot naturally. I believe you can catch with either hand. That's my theory on this. I don't know your opinion, but for someone like myself, and you've seen me play, you saw me play games like puck handling was something I took a lot of pride in. And it's because I saw you score a goal as a kid. I wanted to score a goal when I got older. There was no question. That was like number one on my priority. I ended up scoring the first one in the North American Hockey League in juniors. And nice. highlight of my life at the moment, right? Uh, yeah. But I see kids struggle with it today. Do you think there's anything to that, being able to shoot the same way as a goalie as you do as a player? Well, it, it always seems odd to me that the guys change. Like, I don't, I don't get I, – I golf left. I play hockey left. I bat left. I do everything from the same, the same motion. Same as me. Right-handed for me. Guys that change, I, I, you know, you always wonder, like, how comfortable could it be if you're, like, so I, I guess I probably never really thought too much about it, but it's pretty hard to be a top puck handler if you got to switch, switch yeah. hand. The hard part for, for younger kids especially, and I look at it for me because I was, I caught with my right hand, and it was hard to get equipment. So a lot of young kids today yeah. get pigeonholed into catching with their left hand, but it's because it's all that they have. And especially yeah. in America, you know, if you're right-handed, well, you must play baseball and catch with your left hand. That's the mentality. It's just, it's different. Yeah. Uh, you know, th those two years you spent in the American league and the IHL, you were, uh, you know, runner up for rookie of the year and you were rookie of the year in the American league, you know, you must've felt like you were ready to grab that role when you got to Philly. I look at that first season in 86, 87. I mean, Con Smythe, you know, Vezina trophy was everything clicking on full cylinder when you got to the NHL that year. Yeah. I mean, I walked into a really good situation. We had a, we had a really good team. Um, that was, you know, one of the top teams in the league. Um, and Mike Keenan, he had a lot of courage. I mean, for him to start me opening night, Bob Froles was runner up for the Vezina of the year before, and he throws me in there opening night against Edmonton in Philadelphia. So, so now, you know, just going backwards there, because, because I spent two years in the, in the American League and the International League, it allowed me to, to grow my game enough to be able to walk into the NHL and to be able to play as a number one goalie. If, if I would have spent one year in American league or no time in the American league, it would have taken me, honestly, I think it would have taken me longer than two years, but my experience in the two years kind of taking one step at a time versus taking four steps, to the NHL. And I was not ready for the NHL at 20 or 21. I'll be the first to admit it. 22, not only was I ready, but I was ready to, to, you know, take the bull by the horns and be the number one guy. And I, I still believe that, in this day and age that that's the best way to do it. Play 55 games in the American league. Unless you're ready. I mean, some kids at 19 or 20 are absolutely ready to go to play in the NHL. Uh, but other kids aren't, aren't ready. And I do believe that playing uh, the bulk of the games in, in the minor leagues is better for development than to, to play 20 or 30 games as a backup in the NHL. That's the way I always saw it is that, you know, you can have the skill set but you have to learn how to mentally carry the load, yep. you know, and physically, like it's not just a mental thing. 100%. The big difference between whether it's college junior, when you get to the pro, when you get to the American league, learning to be the guy in pro hockey is really what sets up people for success at the NHL. I find, especially as goaltenders, like imagine being 20 years old and walking into that locker room. I mean, I was still in college, you know, like junior year of college that I can't even fathom how, tough of a challenge that is you know as you moved into management something i admired about your franchise is that you guys place that emphasis on developing goaltenders you know is it a conscious choice of yours when you took the jobs in la and in philly you know to make sure that you gave those goaltenders the berniers and hearts of the world the proper tools to be successful yeah it, it it's it, it was a focus for for us in in la and in in philly was to not really overall not rush your players you you want your young players to play but there's a lot of young players over the years that get rushed into spots because they're whether they're a first round pick or whether there's a lot of hype on them and they get rushed into a spot and it's too much for them to handle as you mentioned physically and mentally and it ends up 
in disaster. I mean, I could, I could name a bunch of guys that you, you look and you go, they didn't develop into the type of goalie or player that they should have. Maybe they just needed a little bit more time. Um, so I always wanted a kid to push us to play and earn a spot on the team versus be handed a spot. And, you know, when you look around, there's a number of players that are kind of handed spots because of, again, status or team doesn't have enough players. They, they got to fit a guy in and they plan to have him on their team and now he's not ready, but they don't have another guy. So um, I just believe in the development process. I believe that players that earn it uh, stay hungry players for a long time and really become better players because of the, the hunger and the growth that they went through uh, uh, earning the position in the NHL. Well, if you want to play in the NHL, you're going to have to have good hand-eye. My friends at Hico Sticks got a good deal for you. If you use the promo code 6DMM56, that'll get you 10% off on your order of your own Hico Stick. Listen, 2020 Men's Health Magazine named these the best hand-eye coordination tool that you can get on the market. And I'll test to it. I use them late in my career. They're a lot of fun to play with, but they also help develop my hand-eye. And now I play with them with my daughters. We love to play catch. They've got three prongs on them. Each is color-coded. So as you throw the Hiko sticks, you call out a color, and you can also call out which hand you need to catch it with. It's a great training device. It works in hockey, baseball, any type of sport that you're trying to improve your hand-eye coordination. Again, hikosticks.com and 6DMM56. That's going to get you 10% off. Another partner of the show is SkinFX Wraps. If you go to the Instagram page, SkinFX Wraps, Mark Magnati takes care of all all sorts of people. He just did the World Juniors masks for the U.S. team. He did mine when I was in a pinch with the Vegas Golden Knights. I had an old mask. I wasn't looking good in practice. I wanted to fit the bill. So Mark helped me out, came up with an awesome design. You can see it on his page. Hop to their Instagram page again. Mark Magnati, Skin Effects Wraps. He does amazing work. The turnaround time is super, super quick. It can go right on top of your existing paint. And if you get traded, like happened to me, or if you decide to change teams, just take the wrap off, get a new one put on. Mark will take care of you. They're reasonable, they're affordable, and they look great. Flipping back to that 86, 87 season with the Flyers, your rookie year, did it just seem like it was a magic ride? I mean, you guys go to the cup finals. It's your rookie year. You know, you win the Con Smythe on a losing team, which just, it just yeah. doesn't happen. You know, there's only several examples of that ever happening. I mean, did you think at that point you were setting yourself up for, five Stanley cups down the road and, and, you know, being yeah. the top guy forever. I, what was your mindset coming out of that season? I didn't, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was 22 years old, turned 23 late that year. So I, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen every year. I, I watched my dad. They had some tough years in Pittsburgh, you know, junior, we, we had a, we had a, you know, nice playoff run, but we weren't, you know, juggernauts. So I knew it wasn't going to happen every year. But I did think that year, when you look back, I did think like that was that was kind of our year. And even when I when my career was over, I look back and I go, that was our year. And, you know, I've said a few times, if we weren't playing against that strong Edmonton team, we'd have probably beaten any other any other team. And we were I mean, we, we almost beat them and we were banged up. And Davey Poulin had broken ribs and Timmy Kerr was out the whole playoffs. And I mean, we had how we had a bad back. I mean, we were just limping we played uh two games short of the max and back then you played literally every second night you didn't have the, the you know you didn't have the two-day breaks one day between every game and it was a real grind and uh it was a special year for sure i mean whenever i talked to one of the teammates from back then we you know somehow always get back to 86 87 and Howie's got the best line. He goes, Hex, if you got one shot up, we'd have won the, we'd have won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> it's your fault. You're the goalie. It's your fault. That's, right. That's the way it always works. <laughs> Do you think your aggressiveness took the league by storm or caught him off guard? Yeah, it probably, it probably caught him off guard a little bit. Brian O'Neill there was a, the disciplinarian there. And I think probably when I come up there, he had never really seen anything like that before. So it's kind of like, what's, what is going on here? I better, I better what do we do with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the infamous whack on Nilsson in the cup, cup finals, you know, two hand slash. What preceded that? What caused that to happen? And, and were you surprised by the suspension that you eventually received after the season? Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny the way it works. Cause you look back on it and 
people laugh when I say this, but I mean, I played for two months and I, I did take a lot of abuse, whether it was slashes behind the legs, whatever, like two months. I mean, they were, they were after me, things were going well and they felt like they had to get to me. And so we were losing, I don't know what it was. I don't even know what game it was game, game four, I guess it was probably game four in Philly and, and Anderson, it was innocent play as kind of bobbled the puck and Anderson went by and just gave me a little tap just kind of set me off like the two months of frustration <laughs> bottled up kind of came out in one thing and the the closest blue jersey was going to get it and thank god it was uh kent nelson and not 99 <laughs> but but i but i will say in the ensuing five minute power play kent nelson did rip one off the off the post on me so he was he was okay <laughs> here's the thing about that play that i think fellow goaltenders understand I actually think you took mercy on Nilsson here and I'll, I'll explain it you can totally shoot this theory down you whacked no, him I'm kind buying of, it. I haven't even heard it and I'm buying it okay <laughs> well you, you whacked him kind of like higher in the leg like more towards like the knee hip area if you would have planted that Victoriaville right off his ankle he'd have been done you know yeah, we know where we're putting our stick you had to know where you were whacking him that, that certainly would have hurt a lot more and done a lot more damage for sure. The, the, it was the, the middle of the calf or it's, you're right. It's a lot less than on the, on the ankle there. So yeah, it was uh, the, the funny thing about it though. So game's over the media's, they want to hear about it. Not very kind to me. I get on the bus. So we're, so we're heading to Edmonton that night. So I get on the bus Keenan says to me, sit down. He's in the front seat. So I sit down and he goes, just so you know, I loved what you did, but I had to tell the media that, you know, you shouldn't have done. All right. Walked back to my seat and sat down. <laughs> so, nice vote of confidence. So, yeah. So then I don't get suspended until the next season, which was, you know, nowadays, right. You're, you're pretty much in jail the next day, but I had a few days, a few days before, uh, I got the suspension. When you look back at your career, it's it's all enshrined in YouTube now. And there's this six and a half minute highlight tape of yours. You're scoring goals, you're fighting, you're whacking guys, you're making six saves, skating all over the place. Was there any of those kind of wild out of control moments though that you look back with a favorite, kind of, they're kind of a favorite of yours, you know, like the Chris Chelios incident where you ran him down in the corner or, you know, for as crazy as those look nowadays, do you kind of look back and laugh at him at times? Well, yeah, I look back and laugh. I also look back and kind of, kind of wonder what exactly I was thinking at the time. There's a, there's a few of them. There's a few of them like that. The, I don't know if you've ever seen the Rob Brown one, but so we're getting absolutely lit up in Pittsburgh. Mario is on top of his game and Rob Brown scores. I don't even know what goal it was, seventh or eighth goal on me. And I wasn't too happy. And out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw him wheeling his arm around like he scored a Stanley Cup winner, right? I went, I went after him. I never caught him. Probably the fastest Rob Brown's ever skated, but I never caught him. I think Shel Samuelson kind of got in my way. And, and I look back on video and Rob Brown didn't throw his arm around like somehow I envisioned at the time. So that's always one that I kind of like, wow, what was I, what was I thinking? But Hey, you know what? I, I love the game. I put everything I had into it. I was emotionally engaged in the game. And sometimes the odd time I would uh, do something was probably, you would be fair to say it was ill-advised, but I, again, I loved it. I loved every minute of playing and teammates and being in a locker room and going to battle with guys. I mean, there's, there's truly nothing. There's truly nothing like it. From a tactical standpoint, did you find it hard to fight with your gear on with goalie gear? I was yeah. in one and I felt like a polar bear. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's ter it was terrible. It was uh, um, very, you're very bulky. Like you can't, you can't really throw punches like, like players can. You're just, you're just cumbersome. And uh, it's, uh, it's not easy. And as much as, you know, if you're on a, if you're killing a power play, um, you're locked in for two minutes, even if they're all over you, it's tiring but not near as tiring as a fight. A fight for a goalie is like, you are so whipped when you're done. You, you hope there's not much game left because you don't have a lot of juice left. Those guys that used to fight two, three times a game, 
and a lot of nights, I don't know how they did it because that was the most tiring thing I've ever done is, is fight. It's mentally draining too. I felt well, like the, the <laughs> rare time it happened to me, it was like, man, like you're fighting, you feel like you're fighting for your life, right? Like you're, you don't want to get popped. Right. So you're mentally invested. You're tight. You're tense. Yes. Yes. Uh, did anybody catch you off guard as being really tough, especially another goalie? I mean, everybody's going to say Potvin, but um, that kind of looked like an even fight. You just ended up bleeding, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's cr- actually that one. He, uh, oh, shit, he scratched me with a claw, right? He was a cat. So he, um, he, he slashed Danny LaCroix. It was the end of a game. And it was kind of like, I'm at the far end, slashed at Danny and it kind of starts a little, and I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. You're not allowed. Danny LaCroix, he fights for every teammate. Like he's a great teammate, sticks up for everybody. You know, I got, I got to stick up for him. So I go down people think I was surprised and you're not surprised when you're going into a fight, doesn't matter who it is. Like certain guys don't fight. I mean, Stevie Thomas never fought, but when he did look out like pot and I had no idea whether he could or couldn't fight, but you always assume the other guy can fight, but he, yeah, it was a good, it was a good fight. And, uh, it happens. But I think one of the, one of my favorite stories was, uh, Ken Danico. Ken Danico (laughs) was tough. And I'm playing with, uh, Ken Danico still thinks he can fight in the NHL. <laughs> he probably he probably could. So Darius Kasparitis hits hits one of their guys. Now we gotta we gotta we get a four on five, right? Because we're we're shorthanded. So I'm like, okay, here we go. So I'm gonna go out and at least grab someone, just so somebody's not getting two on one. So who do I end up with? Ken Danico. I'm like. Oh boy. And I played against him in junior. So I knew how tough he was too. And I'm like, this is probably not going to end well. So we grab on each other and he looks at me and he goes, I don't fight goalies. I was like, Oh, thank the good Lord for that. <laughs> of course I did. Of course I didn't say that, but yeah, I was, that probably wouldn't have ended well. Your second year you scored. And this was a defining moment for so many goaltenders and people across the world watching hockey. I mean, when you did it at the, at the time, did you think that this was going to really have, you know, a lasting impression on people? Cause to me, I'm, I'm five years old and I'm watching this. I see the highlight on TV and it, I, I can remember being four years old, five years old, trying to shoot pucks off the boards to score as a mini might and a might because of what I saw you do. Uh, did you know that it was going to really change the game at that point? You know, I got to be honest with you. It wasn't a priority of mine at the time. Like my teammates, because because we had a play where we were shorthanded, they dumped the puck in, and I tell my teammates, "You guys go, and I'll throw you a long bomb and break away or two on one, whatever." Actually, Davey Poulin and Brian Proper are terrific at it. So it wasn't a big deal to me to score a goal, but my teammates, because of that, they knew I was capable. So they're always like, Hex, you got to try and score. You got to try and score. And I'm like, guys, it's not whatever. So I didn't think it was that big a deal. And I also didn't want to, you know, back then, unlike today where guys shoot at the empty net when, the, when it's open and you get an icing, I didn't want to do that. So I said, well, if we're, if we're up two goals or if we're on shorthanded, I will take a shot at the net. So at that, that night, it just happened to be, we're up by two goals and uh, they dumped it in and it kind of came right in my wheelhouse and took a shot and, and it went in. And I, I didn't practice, I didn't practice shooting the puck in the net, but I did practice clearing the puck over everybody and down the ice. So it was kind of natural when it did come to me that shoot it over everybody, which was the main objective. And then if it goes in the net, great. And it, it just happened to go in the net, which, you know, probably a little bit of luck and a little bit, you know, you practice all those years shooting the puck out. Um, and if you, if you look, the second goal, the playoff goal was a, a much better goal because I went behind the net. I grabbed the puck on my backhand, turned, and then fired it versus the first one where it's kind of dumped yeah. in on my my mine was like this. Work. Mine was like your second one. I stopped it behind the net, turned out, shot it up and over everybody right down Broadway. Yeah. I mean, just the best feeling in the world when it goes in, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it, you know what? It was a good feeling, but my teammates, 
jumped off the bench. And I specifically remember Rick Tockett and Scotty Mellenby like screaming and hollering almost like we won a playoff series. So we actually got a two minute penalty for delay a game. And then the Flyers organization got us all a plaque of the game sheet and stuff. So it ended up being a neat thing. But to be honest, what made it special for me was, was how excited my teammates were that, that, that it happened and that they were there. And it was, it was pretty cool. I heard a story that in 87 Canada cup, you won a game of horse with Wayne Gretzky, Brent Gretzky and Dave Poulin, and you won it with a top shelf wrister from like the red line. Is, is this true? Well, I think it was, yeah, I think it was uh post post crossbar though. Okay. So I had yeah. a little bit of poor information, but in other words, yeah. your accuracy took down the Gretzky's and Dave Poulin. Well, Pooley, that was easy. <laughs> that was easy. Gretz was a little, Gretz was a little tougher. I don't even know if he remembers it or not, but he asked me to play. I'm like, yeah, I'll play. Cause we used to do that after practice, right? You've, you know, we used to practice for quite a while and then you're kind of zapped and then you fool around on the ice because yeah. it's fun. And so we used to play that once in a while. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite the poor Gretz. <laughs> well, you're giving Poolin the hardest time. I mean, he gets traded to Boston and he scores on you. You know, you know, it's funny. Davey Poolin was, was always one of my favorites. He's, he's the best captain that I've ever played with. Um, and we used to have kind of the running feud. I used to like to challenge teammates to score in practice because it made me better. It made them better. Sure. And it kind of, it was, I didn't do it in a kind of clowning around way. I did it in a serious way where you were getting practice, but you challenge guys. And, and so we always had the kind of the running thing going when we played together. And then, yeah, when he got traded, so he gets a lucky goal on me. And of course he gets me a plaque made. You, you probably talked to him. You probably even know, Oh yeah, I have the plaque and it's, it's him in a Boston Bruin uniform and scoring the goal and all this nonsense. Actually, I texted to him a couple months ago. I took a picture of it. I come across it, took a picture of it and texted to him, but yeah, what a guy. <laughs> what memories, eh? Like that's what makes a game what? special. Those, yeah. those little yeah. gifts from friends. I, I think about how I watch you again when I'm younger and I, you did a lot of commercials, it seemed like. I don't know whether it was your personality that got you some of these deals. Like I remember, I think it was a Nike commercial where you've got a fort built around the crease and you ask them to keep the skates out of the crease. And then another shoot that you did, with, that you did another shoot with somebody on the ice where I remember this clear as day. There was a Nissan sign on the boards, I think, that has you know red on top, blue on the bottom. And the reporter asked you, oh, can you hit the Nissan sign? And you, you looked at this person and you went, oh, the red or the blue part? blue and from 40 feet away you winged it right off the blue so uh, uh, the accuracy that you had shooting the puck to me was unbelievable what did you have to do to your equipment if anything at all through your career to make that happen like your sticks your gloves there's no way you picked up things off the shelf at a young age and made them work the way you wanted to well no i mean i was i was probably i was pretty fussy with my sticks I mean, there had to be, you hate to say it, but the kind of like a guy that a goal scorer, like there had to be a certain feel to it. And sure. when, when I picked up a stick, I knew right away if it was, and then you had to see the flex and stuff. So I was pretty fussy about my sticks just because it was part of my game. Um, there were times when I would, I would shave the heel down or whatever, but because back then the sticks weren't like today where they're, they're out of a mold and they're very consistent right. back then you had, you had, heavy wood and light wood and it was just every batch you got was different so actually, you might get three i can remember you might get three or four out of a batch that you liked and the other yeah. ones you just kind of dealt with them you know yeah or you might get you might get a batch that's good you get a dozen and they're all good it's like whoa and then the next ones that come in the two dozen come in and you don't get one out of them so our trainer dave selmeyer was pretty good at knowing what i what i liked so he would go through them before i would touch them kind of pick out the ones that he thought I'd liked and he, he was, he was very good at it. So, um, but yeah, there's, uh, I was, yeah, I was pretty fussy about my sticks. My gloves uh, always had to be comfortable. Like the, the palm of my blocker, it got to a point where I actually got grippy stuff. Mm -hmm. I think kind of like they do on uh, receivers, football receivers hands. They wear the gloves that are a little sticky. I had them because I could grip the stick better. Um, and my glove had to be, I use a GM, uh, 21 and it had to be certain. Once they got really bulky, I had to, you know, have them 
custom made, which everything is pretty much custom made, but I had a few little things so I could lay the stick in the glove and, and hold it. Um, you know, some gloves, you, you just couldn't, you couldn't grip your stick. And I had to build a grip, grip my stick with my catching glove as well. So would you take the blowtorch to the blade? Like what was your curve like on your stick? I, it, it kind of varied um, from year to year, but yeah, there's times where I would take the blowtorch to it probably more times I would than not, but it really weakened it too. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it for practice because you would, they wouldn't last I me mean, 10 shots and they'd be, they'd be done. But for games, I would blowtorch a certain amount. Um, you know, sometimes they came in pretty good. I had more of a, like a bend. I didn't, because I didn't want to, um, too much curve. It's hard to have the, your stick on the ice when you're trying to steer pucks to the, mm-hmm. to the corners, the rebounds. So I try to just kind of have a bend like, a. a so you kind of had a floor iron is what we're looking at. Was yeah. it a little bit like that? Yes. Just more, more tilt on the blade versus curve there. Were, I, I did get a little out of control. I think it was in the mid nineties with curve got a little bit big and I, I'd always have like a stick that I would keep from years before that I liked and kind of go back to. Um, so, and then I pulled the curve down a bit, but it fluctuated a little bit through the years, but um, more of the, the four or five iron that you talked about. When Gar Snow showed up and he started wearing huge upper body gear, did it rub off on you? No, I actually, I'm like snowy. Like, what are you doing? I said, I'm an old guy. You're going to end my career because they're going to make us all get small. Like you can't obviously cheat like that where they're, they're looking at you. I mean, look like he had bricks on his shoulders. It's blat- sure. It was blatant. <laughs> yeah. Sure enough. A, a year or two later, I was out of the league and he was still playing. I see what you did to me. I had nothing <laughs> to do with that. I was in mid my mid thirties and couldn't play anymore. <laughs> How was your relationship you know, with your goalie was, partners? There was just before I get to that, like the, the pads, so our pads were, our, they were deer hair. Right. And then they kind of turned into foam later in my career. But I, I saw guys like, it was 12 inches, right? And I saw guys with pads and I'm looking like Mike Richter was one that you always look oh, at. He, he, he 15 had, inches he had, at the heel. Yeah, she had bells and he had 15 inches at the bottom. And I'm like, he's going to have 15 inches and I'm going to have 12. Like that's not, so and I ended up getting really big pads and then they, then they came down on us. We were going to get suspended and everything else. So now we had to have 12 inches. So we'd have 13 or 14. And before they come in to measure them, you just pat them together with the deer hair and they fit in the little device they had. And then once they were gone, you fan them back out. Um, but yeah, we found ways to kind of try and do the best we could do. But it's funny when, when, finally when they come down really hard on us and we had to go back to smaller equipment i felt like i moved better mm-hmm. obviously didn't cover quite as much net but i felt like i moved better and actually felt like i was i was better at the time than i was the, the year or two before so it's it's uh trying to find that happy medium of being big enough but also allowing yourself to move and that's one thing with marty Berdour. he never he never blew up like most of the goalies he always stayed pretty small and in, in terms of his equipment, but he was, right. he was so good laterally and reading the game and stuff that uh, obviously had a very successful career. Yeah, he did well. He took, he took what you did, did puck it. handling to another level, his gameplay ability to read the play. You always had short thigh rises, I noticed. And it, it does, it reminds me of when they took the size away from us, I believe going into 13, 14 is when they put in new restrictions for goalie pads. And I remember one practice, I had a puck go right through my five hole that would have stopped the year before with my pads. And I thought it's over for me. Well, guess what? By the end of that year, I was playing the best hockey in my life. Again, the same way. It's that happy medium of finding the right balance. Like I, I do agree with you. There's something to it that the gear, while you still want to be as big as you can, it, it needs to be proportionate to who you are. If you want to be able to yeah. move. Yeah. There's a point. There's for sure a point of, of, of no returns. Um, it, it's funny when you say that because our pads, early in my career. So my pads would start like a 36 inch pads. And literally I would wear my pads the whole year. They would get restuffed once. Our trainer would go in once and restuff them with their hair, but they'd start out at 30, 36s and probably end at 32s. Right. So by playoffs, I really had 32, 33 inch pads versus the 36 at the start, start of the year. But we also used to wear our pads for, two or three months before we'd wear them in a game. 
you started your career wearing a helmet and cage combo, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Mass changed so much. You know, you had a Harrison, you went to an iTech. What did you like in head protection? Well, I mean, the reason I started off with it with a cage helmet combo was because that's we didn't we didn't get masks back then in the minor leagues. They were they were expensive and oh, pinch and pennies. Yeah, we just didn't get them. So once you make you make the show, then all of a sudden, I don't know how long I I played in that. Maybe a third of my first year, a quarter of my first year, and then my my Harrison showed up. So. Um, I was pretty excited to get a mask though, but yeah. you know, it's one of those things too. You're 22 years old and I got a, well, I get a, I get a mask. That's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> well, the first one I got was first time I ever had somebody buy equipment for me. That's a huge moment in a goalie's life. You know, you've made it at that point. That was college for me. You had a really iconic design on your helmet that had the arrow down the middle, the orange arrow. Yeah. And in recent years, Michael Layton, Cal Heater, both of those guys paid tribute to that mask. You know, when you notice something like that, when you hear about it, is it kind of give you a special feeling knowing that it's, it's, yeah. you know, it was an iconic moment in, in flyer history for that mass to be that visible. Yeah, it was, that was a pretty cool mask. Like I, I, I my, my number one thing is masks. I like masks. My number I'm two same. thing is, uh, is Jersey, but masks are my, my go-to and, um, the air, the arrow. I had two of them, um, and it was actually the the painter that he's the one that came up with the design, and he said the arrow meant the puck stops here. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, that's you know fair enough. And back then, I mean, it was it was all all of my designs were pretty much the team and the city versus. I didn't have any personal stuff. No, like I just I just it's just the way the way it was and. And what, what I preferred, quite frankly, but when he came up with that, because every year you get a new mask and you got to kind of come up with a new design. I didn't, I didn't want to go with the same design every year. So when he came up with that one, I thought it was a, it was a pretty cool um, idea. And then uh, probably some nights I didn't quite live up to it. The puck stops here, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you have one get stolen at some point? Yeah, I, I did have one. I did have one get stolen. And you're, you're really digging here. I, I don't know. I don't think many people actually know this story, though. So what happened was it got stolen. And one night, it was in the old spectrum. And our trainer said to me, I think that kid in the corner behind the glass has your mask on. And I'm like, so I skate by, I look, and I'm, I come back to the pension. I'm like, that's it. I knew right away, you know, you can tell your stuff. Oh, yeah. you can tell. So, so this is, his name is Rock, Rock Oratorio, been a longtime trainer in Philly there. So I'm watching him and he goes up the stands and comes behind the guy in a typical, you know, South Philly fashion. He just grabs a mask off the guy's head and runs. And I'm like, oh my God, did he really just do that? Like, I'm thinking he's going to go to him and tell him that that's my mask and I need to take it. And we'll call you something like that, whatever. He ripped it off, I guess in flyer fashion, right? He ripped it right. off and just took off and went, I show up in the room and there's my mask. I'm like, why did you, well, what do you mean why? Like he didn't think there's any other option, but so we got the mask, but obviously this kid didn't know or he's not going to wear it to a game. So somebody stole it and I guess sold it. And I forget how we looked after the kid, but yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty ironic. I'm Philly. You, you know that because it I don't think anybody knows that story. So you've been you've been digging. I guess you spent you probably you probably actually talked to Rock. I no. I I was just I read a lot as a kid. My dad and grandpa were off ice officials in St. Louis. Okay. And so I'd get game notes before every contest in the team and they show up, I get the big packet. And I remember that there was an article, I think, that was written at the time, and whether this was 87 or 90 or whatever. I think I just remember seeing a quick article. It stuck with me all these years. I, I asked you previously quickly before we got a little bit, goalie partners, what was your relationship like with them? Did you get along with most of them? Any favorites? Yeah, no, I, I always got along with my goalie partners. It was, uh, I felt like um, it was part of being a team, like for the, for the two, guy, two guys to fight and half the guys be on his side happy and I always felt like it was divisive for the team so 
I, I made an effort to always be friends with the goalie partner, but also support him. Like no matter, no matter what happened, if he was playing and I felt like I should play, whatever, it's just, you know what, you're better just to keep it quiet and do your thing and be part of the team. Other guys sit out and their team guys, well, you owe it to your teammates, the same thing. So I, I always got along with, I can't think of anybody I, I didn't get along with. And a lot of them, I was, you know, very good friends with my first year, Chico Resch. Oh man. Chico, Chico, he's the greatest. Nicest man on the planet. He might be the greatest human being on the planet. If I he's agree. not, I, if he's not, I'd like to meet the guy. That is. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> he is a terrific man. Um, he was 38 and I was 22 and he was, I mean, kind of called him the old, the old goat, which was, you know, in a, in a playful way, and right. not a disrespectful way. Cause I love the man, but he was so good for me that year. And then, you know, you learn from him too. Like he's, 38 years old and he's your partner um and he was a terrific partner and he was always we would always talk um about the game a goal uh, a save whatever it was and he was he was so good for me to billabound stuff off as a as a rookie and like I said I think I learned from that as you get older you know you get young guys coming through well you know whether Stefan Vassett or whoever it is like you kind of owe them like you can you can mentor them too Snowy Snowy wasn't a lot younger than me he was younger than me but uh when he it's funny when he came up so Bob froze myself and Chico started my first year together and we used to do these skating drills in training camp the goal is back then would skate i don't think they do much nowadays but they we would all skate with the, with the team then so the three goalies would go together and i would always blow frozy away not 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 i didn't try to it just like yeah that you were an incredible to, skater all anybody has to do is look at your highlights and realize that i get it yeah you, you had to you had to work and like your teammates were working you had to work and i remember frozy one day said to me he said you know Someday some young guy's gonna come up and he's gonna he's gonna bury you and it doesn't feel very good. And I was like, geez, I'm I'm sorry, Frozy. Like I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm just trying to trying to do what I gotta do. So a few years later, Snowy comes up. <laughs> he he freaking skates by me and I'm like, it took me back to the Bob Froze conversation. I was like, yeah, he just blew me away. That's not that's not good. But um yeah, it's uh so I mean Gar Snow, I, I can think of a lot of guys that you know, say my, my favorite. I mean, I had so many, you have so many different partners over the years that um, Snowy was obviously, he was, he's so funny. He's got a great sense of humor, but you look at him, a, kind of a younger guy. And then you look at, at Chico as the older guy who mentored me. Um, a lot of guys along the road that, that uh, I had really good relationships with. After you finish playing, you move into the uh, other side, you go into scouting, you go into management, was it gratifying to finally win that Stanley cup with LA? Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was. Um, you know, you, you chase it for so many years and obviously not winning it as a player is will always be something that, you know, is a bit of a disappointment, but you need to move on with life as well. So what's the next, what, what can you do next? You can't, can't rewind the clock. So um, to win it in LA was, I mean, I remember with 10 minutes left, we were winning by quite a bit. And it was, it was pretty emotional to be honest, you know, 30 some years, whatever I spent in the game. And the first time um, you're actually going to share in, in winning it and, you know, having a small part in, in winning it. And you know what, in LA, we did it, we did it the right way too. It took us six years. Like it wasn't, it wasn't all peaches and cream. Trust me. There were some pretty tense moments over the years where, you know, we weren't doing very well. We were building, but we weren't doing very well. And, you know, job security, you never know. Um, but when it, when it finally happened, it was, it was so worth it. It was worth every bit of those, those six years and the first two or three, I mean, we might've been the worst team in the league. It was, it was tough. Being a manager in the National Hockey League, you don't have to just understand your team. You have to understand the entire league. You have to understand depth, the American League, Europe, everywhere. So I want to toss one last question to you here, and I want to test your knowledge of all of North America. What's the scouting report on a former goaltender named Mike McKenna? <laughs> Very good guy. Very good for a team. Works hard. Real, real, good, real good depth goalie. Real good depth goal. So why did your teams never give me a sniff? <laughs> well, there's got to there's got to be a fit. 
it's got to right. be a fit. You've got Jonathan Bernier and Jonathan Quick in the minors. It's, it's like, okay, well, I'd like, we'd like to have Mike McKenna as a mentor. Did my teams never call you to, to over the years? Like, I can't remember every single transit. I don't think there was even a flirtation. I ended up in, uh, ended up in Philly after you had departed, uh, not yeah. long. Yeah. Um, but I'm really glad that I ended my career in Philly. And now knowing that that organization, what it's like to get to play for it, the people involved with it was really cool. Uh, and I'm thankful. I got to play for Kerry Huffman, who still resents yeah. to this day that you scored your first NHL goal before he did. <laughs> so um, it's this has been great. Like I, I love talking old time goaltending and and really you have such a unique perspective because you're you're still in the game and have been current with it and seen the changes. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This has been an absolute pleasure to, you know, the person who really put me on path playing, playing the posts, trying to score goals. Thanks, Rod. Good stuff. Been a pleasure, Mike. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to all your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. As always, you can find me at Mike McKenna56 on all the socials. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.